is the widescreen podcast show number 305 i am the big bad burger meister meister burger and this is of course your well now monthly unfortunately podcast that is meant to perfectly put you to sleep this is the podcast that will cure your insomnia and uh, you won't even get billed for it so even if you don't have health care you can still have your insomnia cured simply by listening to this podcast that is the public service that i provide so this podcast is, is definitely later than I wanted it to be. This has been a very this has been a very busy month for me. This is June, which is Pride Month, of course. Uh, and I personally am not a member of the LGBT community, but I have many friends who are. I have many family members who are, including immediate family members who are part of the LGBT community. And so what I've been doing is I've been doing a lot of Twitch streaming. Uh, with a charity event. So all month long, I've been doing a charity event for uh, the Trevor Project, which is to help combat suicide in young LGBT people. And that's simply because, you know, having friends and family members who are now at risk of this, I mean, it's for the past several years, certain ideologies, uh, certain types of belief systems have put the LGBT community at risk more than probably since maybe like the 60s or 70s and regrettably these particular ideologies and the people who follow these ideologies are putting my friends and family at risk and that could be from one of the hundreds of laws that are currently going through various state legislatures uh, to to punish and to vilify the LGBT community or physical violence unfortunately that's on the rise too I honestly don't recall ever reading of a certain individual saying you shall love your neighbor as yourself unless they're a different race, color, creed, or sexual orientation. I don't recall that second part, but a lot of the people who follow that particular person seem to think that section is there, and it's very frustrating. So this month I have been dedicating my Twitch stream to trying to raise money for the Trevor Project, and I've also been working on one of my props, which I have made as a pride version with the pride rainbow. Deal with it. And anybody who donates $25 or more to this link, and I will have the link in the show notes, gets a chance to win this prop. So yeah, it's it's been a busy month for me, which is one of the reasons why this podcast is later than usual. I know, I have an excuse every month. I'm tired of it, you're tired of it. But your boy here has a busy life, and this is one of the consequences. Anyway, not going to waste any more time. There's a bunch of stuff here to talk about, so let's start talking about it. I've talked about this before, and now we know the results. Disney has made it official that they are uh, they're confirming that it will take $1.5 billion in write-downs associated with removing streaming programming from its platforms. So what they're saying is they're going to be saving, shall, or not spending, $1.5 billion dollars by taking several shows off of its streams because they don't have to pay residuals now. And I love the one the one statement here says the long promised nirvana for consumers of a nearly endless storehouse of available titles has collided with the reality of how much it costs to sustain both in terms of technology and payouts to stakeholders in the programming. And I'm calling out bull on the technology. Sorry, it doesn't cost a whole hell of a lot to have a multi-megabyte file, maybe multi-gigabyte file, stored in several locations around the world. The streaming part costs, yes, that I will admit, but these, these streaming services have so much storage that they have to pay for that deleting some files off of it isn't going to mean a whole hell of a lot. Sorry, that's the fact of somebody who's been working in IT for 30 years. There are costs to streaming, yes. There are costs to running a data center, yes. But they've already got so much out there for streaming. The extra little bit of storage and backups that are required for the shows that they're taking off the air is negligible in comparison. So this has nothing to do with the technology behind it. This is all about not having to pay people. So so many of these shows, especially ones that are new like Willow, people signed on to them with the expectation that they would get paid for their work and they would get residuals later on, and now that's gone. Disney also said that it expects more program to be removed, uh, more programming to be removed from the direct consume direct to Jesus Christ, money. Let's try that again. Disney said it expects more program to pro oh my God, 
<laughs> you know, I could just stop the recording and edit this out, but screw it. Disney said it expects more programming to be removed from direct-to-consumer and other platforms, largely during the rest of the company's third fiscal quarters, which means another $400 million in impairment charges will result. As they're calling it impairment charges. How about just saying money they don't have to pay to people? I mean, the, the, the definition of an impairment charge is it's, it's a term that describes like a reduction or a loss in the value of an asset. Which, okay, I mean, I guess it's kind of an argument, but that's also under the expectation that people are going to pay specifically for the streaming programming that is being removed. And that's something people are going to go away because those specific programming uh, videos are being removed. And that's not necessarily the case. People are going to continue to pay the subscriptions. So to make it sound like removing this content is going to be an impairment charge really is kind of stretching it a bit. Plus, Disney could technically always license the removed content to other services who are willing to stream it. Now, whether they're willing to do that or not is a different story. But I mean, for me, if anything, this is an argument why physical media needs to come back. Records are coming back. Why can't Blu-ray? Or DVD, keep it cost-effective. Not everybody needs high definition. You know, I'll make that argument. A show isn't necessarily better because it's in HD. It's the same show. It's just presented differently. Oh, well. Also in streaming news, Amazon is reportedly planning an ad-supported tier for Prime Video, which is not really surprising. A lot of platforms are going to an advertising-supported tier. Hulu, Max, Peacock. I mean, they've had, they've had ad-supported from the beginning. My wife has Paramount Plus. That has advertisement thrown in. So having it come to Prime Video is not necessarily that much of a surprise. And Amazon is reportedly in talks with Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Paramount to include their ad-supported subscriptions through the Prime Video channels. So it is unclear when Amazon plans on introducing this or what the pricing might look like, but it should help to lower the cost for those who are looking to subscribe to Amazon Prime and don't mind the ads. And related to that... If you have some of those, or if you are looking to get some of those really cheap Android TV boxes from Amazon or other places like that, you probably should just stay away. Apparently, there are two companies from China, one called All Winner and the other one called Rock Chip, that supposedly have, are, they're very popular with Android TV boxes that are sold on Amazon. Uh, so they're cheap, customizable, and so forth. I mean, they're running Android TV, so yeah. But apparently they are also preloaded, or should I say loaded? I hate that pre-prefix. They're loaded with malware. So apparently security researchers have found that these set-top boxes are communicating with command and control servers waiting for instructions on what to do next. The T95, which came from Allwinner, apparently has out-of-the-box connecting to a larger botnet of thousands of other Android TV boxes in homes and offices around the world. Several other all-winner and rock-chip Android TV models that have the malware include the T95 Max, the X12 Plus, and the X88 Pro 10. So there's no way to know how large this botnet is, but it's, it's almost impossible to remove this malware from the system because that would require a firmware upgrade, which, if these companies are loading it intentionally, they're not going to take it out. I keep in mind, I mean, th they could be doing something very simple as they're, they're doing cryptocurrency mining, using your network as, as the bandwidth for that. They could all be also be part of coordinated denial-of-service attacks, and it's also very possible that they could be deploying malware on your own home network, you know, exploiting any vulnerabilities that your Windows installations might have, or Mac, or any of them. I mean, they all have vulnerabilities. So basically, if you're looking for good, cheap Android TVs, just stick with Amazon and Google. Those of you who live in the UK might be finding out that Netflix is going to be pulling their own shows off of there, but not for the same reason that Disney is talking about. Disney is doing it specifically so they don't have to pay residuals. Netflix is doing it because of what they are, con what they are calling onerous new streamer regulations. So there are certain ministers in the UK that want their media regulator Ofcom to police streaming giants in a similar way to traditional broadcasters meaning that Netflix, Amazon, and others would have, to, uh, they would have to abide by due impartiality rules, as they're called, stating that major streamers must consider impartiality in the context of comp contemporary events, pointing specifically to current public policy and matters of political or industrial controversy. 
Basically, they're saying Netflix and Amazon and so forth, their producers and show creators cannot take sides. So Netflix is saying that staying on the right side of this rule would require it to keep its giant catalog under continual review, ensuring that it is purging titles on a regular basis, regardless of when a show was filmed, uh, when a show premiered, uh, saying that the range of Netflix and variety... God, I can't talk today. The range and variety of Netflix content generally considered a strength of our offering in terms of maximizing choice for British viewers could equally become a potential source of risk from a compliance perspective if it fell within Ofcom's remit. Without considerably greater clarity around the scope, but basically what they're saying is that according to UK regulations, if a show is too left-leaning or too right-leaning, Netflix might have to abide by the rules and be forced to take it off the air. And what's worse is that if, let's say that the political climate in the UK at a particular time leans one way, and so Netflix comes out with a bunch of shows to appeal to that side, but then 10 years later, it flips, and now those shows from 10 years ago are, are now considered to be you know, no longer impartial and so forth. Netflix could be forced to take those off, even though it was filmed during a time when it was completely acceptable to, to have those shows. Now, more broadly, and this is kind of what we have here in the States, Netflix said regulation of streaming services should be different from traditional broadcasters because viewers make the conscious decision to purchase and watch Netflix content. Pretty much that's how it is here. Anything that is broadcast over the air for free, uh, that, that falls under FCC regulations. So, you know, you can't hear George Carlin's seven dirty words. On any TV channel that is broad or radio that's broadcast over the air and can be received on just about any equipment. But if you pay for cable, you are voluntarily paying for it. So those channels are not subject to the same FCC rules. Apparently, the UK is trying to make Netflix and all of the other streaming companies the same as what they've got over the air. So just a warning for those of you who might have Netflix over in the UK. Netflix is the most popular streaming service over there with an estimated 17 million subscribers. Amazon Prime Video and Disney Plus are the second and third most in-demand streamers. So fair warning if you're in the UK and content starts to disappear off of Netflix, could be your government in action. Speaking of Netflix, the often spoken about uh, password sharing crackdown has started. Users living inside, sorry, users living outside of a household will be able to join onto the main account for an additional $8 a month, uh, even though the standalone starts at $7 a month for the ad-supported version. Primary account holders will be prompted to set a household location on their devices, although subscribers will be able to use their accounts when traveling. Non-household members will be singled out on factors like how often that device uses the Wi-Fi at the primary location and they will be prompted to transfer their profiles to a new Netflix subscription. And regardless of what you think about this, apparently it's working. Uh, in Canada, which they believe is a reliable predictor to what's going to happen in the U.S., their paid membership base is now larger than prior to the launch of uh, the password cracking. Oh, crap, crack, crack, yeah, password sharing crackdown. Password cracking is a different thing. But basically what they're saying is, apparently cracking down on password sharing is working in Canada, so they expect it to work in the U.S. too. And finally, Paramount has confirmed the launch plans, including the date for merging Paramount Plus with Showtime. It's going to happen in, well, if it's, you, it might have happened already, depending on when you listen to this podcast, June 27th. Now, this is only applicable in the U.S., and when it happens, Showtime will no longer be a standalone brand. If you want Showtime, you're going to have to get Paramount Plus with Showtime. So both of them combined are going to be $12 a month. Paramount Plus by itself is $6 more a month. And if you've wanted Showtime without Paramount Plus, sorry, you're going to have to pay more now. So this past weekend was the release of both The Flash and Elemental, and neither of them did particularly well. The Flash came in with a weekend accumulation of $64 million over the four-day Juneteenth weekend, Elemental came in at $33 million. Now compare that with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is three weeks out, and that brought in $32.4 million. Now, as to why movies like The Flash didn't do well, eh, no real way to know. There were a lot of trailers out there, and even, even the critics seem to actually like it, which is surprising. But, I mean, the rumored production budget for it was roughly $200 million, meaning that it needs to make five to $600 million for it to break even. 
Although, I mean, that goes by, there are different scales. Some some places say, well, it only needs to make about 300 to 400. Others say 500 to 6, whatever. The simple fact of the matter is, it's a long way from achieving that goal. Now, The Flash was projected to make $70 million domestically and $155 million worldwide, and it didn't really come close. Not if you only talk about the three-day opening. Obviously, this was a four-day weekend here in the States, for, for federal employees anyway. But it was expected to make 51 million over three, sorry, it was expected to make 70 million over three days, and it only made 55. And worldwide, it was expected to make a total of 155 million, and it didn't even break 140 million. And Elemental had an expectation of $35 million over the weekend. That only came in at 29. So both movies are considered to be, I don't want to say failures, they, they, both movies failed to live up to expectations. What does that mean? It's, it's hard to tell. Hopefully it will all start to pan out now that summer is about to kick in. Maybe some people will start to go see those movies and, and who knows what will happen. On the flip side, the Fast and Furious franchise has just broken $7 billion globally. And Universal is the first studio to cross $1 billion in domestic box office for 2023. So it's not necessarily that the box office is doing badly, it's just those two particular movies didn't really live up to expectations. Similarly, the John Wick franchise has crossed $1 billion worldwide. John Wick Chapter 4 right now is the biggest uh, of the four movies so far, it has brought in $427 million worldwide, and it still has not yet released in Japan, where it's expected to roll out later this fall. So one of the things that's going on, and a lot of people are concerned about it, understandably so, is right now the Hollywood uh, writers are undergoing a strike. And a lot of that is stemming from exactly what I talked about. A lot of these writers are now trying to write for streaming services, and they're getting nothing because the shows that they're writing for where they expect to get residuals, are being taken off the air. So now a lot of, of especially episodic shows, TV and, and so forth, they're now being dramatically affected by the writer's strike. But in solidarity, SAG-AFTRA, which is the Screen Actors Guild, they have approved a strike authorization with a 97.91 yes vote. It's never been that big in the history of SAG-AFTRA. Now, that doesn't mean that there is going to be a strike, except that they have authorized it. But right now, SAG-AFTRA uh, TV and theatrical contracts expire at midnight on June 30th. So what does this mean for Hollywood and, and for us? Well, I mean, if, uh, if SAG-AFTRA goes on strike, there's going to be no promotional work. Movies and TV show production is going to completely stop. Promotional activities are going to stop. And that might not necessarily be an issue for movies that are going to be coming out in the next month or two. Like uh, Mission Impossible, the new one comes out next month. That's not going to really have an impact. Oppenheimer and Barbie both come out on July 21st. They're not really going to be impacted. But it is very possible that movies coming out in the second half of the year will end up being pushed back. And definitely movies that are scheduled for the first quarter of 2024. Movies that the studios have a lot of hope in, such as the Dirty Dancing sequel, uh, Madame Web, which is going to be a Spider-Man spinoff, and a number of others. But for you and me, in particular, uh, if they do end up going on strike, you can pretty much uh, guarantee that there will be nothing of any interest when it comes to movie promotions and so forth at San Diego Comic-Con, which runs July 19th through the 23rd. I think I slurred that. San Diego Comic-Con. And I don't even want to think what's going to happen there. I mean, could you imagine this, this, this geek fest? going to a conference that normally has over 130,000 attendees and there's not going to be any Hollywood celebs there or producers or whatever to try to push the movie that they that they want to get hyped up. So yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, the SAG-AFTRA strike really could have a, some serious implications not only for things like San Diego Comic-Con, but also movies coming out in the second half of this year and the first half of next year. And as an example of that, Marvel Studios is delaying... Uh, their production on the Thunderbolt movie. That should have already started shooting in Atlanta, and that's now been put on hold. And they've also hit the pause button on the production for their Blade movie. That was expected to start shooting later this fall. That's now been put on hold as well. And previously, the Lionsgate movie Good Fortune decided to stop filming indefinitely because of the writer's strike. Now, while these are not related to any of the strikes, uh, a bunch of movie release dates have been either announced or changed. 
So Deadpool 3 will now open. This is a nice one. Deadpool 3 was supposed to open on November 8th of 2024. It will now open on May 3rd of next year. So that's being pushed six months earlier. I'm not going to argue. Avengers The Kang Dynasty has been pushed a year. Now this one's a bad one. Has been pushed back a whole year to May 1st, 2026. The follow-up, Avengers Secret Wars, has been pushed back to May 7th of 2027. So, I mean, we already know Moana had a release date of June 27th, 2025. That's not unusual. Or not, but we knew that. We knew that. I can't talk. Oh my god. If this was a Twitch stream, I would be having so many opportunities for people to take clips because of my brain-mouth disconnect. And I know, I know, I could pause the recording, edit that out, redo it, but whatever. 20th Century has added another, another install. Oh my god, John. Has added another installment in the Alien franchise. That one is dated for August 16th, 2024. And we actually have Star Wars movie information now. Obviously, there has not been a Star Wars movie since 2019's The Rise of Skywalker. <coughs> and we've already talked about the movie to star Daisy Ridley. And another one from Dave Filioni and James Mangold and so forth. But now we've got dates for them, or dates have been moved. So a previously dated Star Wars movie, they're not saying which one, uh, was to be December 2025. It's now been pushed to May 22nd of 2026. That is most likely the one with Daisy Ridley because that's furthest along in development. But they've added another Star Wars movie for December 18th of 2026. And then the third one now has, or it's staying on its current date of December 17th, 2027. So some other ones, Captain America Brave New World, which was supposed to be May 5th, is now moving to July 26th. Avatar 3 is now, uh, it was supposed to be December 20th, 2024. That's now being pushed back a full year to December 19th of 2025. Fantastic Four was supposed to be February 14th, 2025. That's now pushed to May. And yes, we actually, we actually have new dates for Avatar 4 and 5. Keep in mind, you know, this is, this is June of 2023. And Avatar 4 is now slated for December of 2029. And Avatar 5 is now dated for December of 2031. I am not kidding you. Well, are you guys ready to see Avatar 5 in, what, eight years? I don't know of any movie that's ever had its release date mentioned eight years previous. But hey, there we are. Uh, Sony also has some uh, dates released, or reserved, rather. Now, all they're saying is that they're for untitled Sony slash Marvel movies. December, sorry, November, God, I can't, <laughs> November 8th, 2024, and June 27th, 2025. Both are going to be IMAX titles, and let the speculation begin. One could be Venom 3, the other one could be Tom Holland's next Spider-Man movie. Now, I mean, Tom Holland has gone on record as saying that, quote-unquote, some stuff is going on and that he's excited about it. But, I mean, obviously, the only franchise that they've got is Spider-Man related. Maybe a Spider-Gwen? Never know. You never know. All I know with, with, with regards to Spider-Man in the immediate future is I want Spider-Man 2 for PlayStation coming on October 20th. I played the hell out of Spider-Man and Spider-Man Miles Morales, platinumed them both, and they are freaking amazing games. I don't know, it was just a bit of a tangent. This is me, this is what I do. And also what I do is, well, I have this inability, I think I've done it once, where I actually did this podcast in one sitting. Actually sat down, you know, did what I needed to do, and was done that night in only a few hours. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. The podcast is usually about an hour. Normally, it takes me about six hours to get this podcast done because I'm, I'm an idiot. But only once have I ever been able to sit down and get the podcast done in a single sitting. This is not one of those times. So we are now 24 hours later, or you know, the next day, and got some articles here that uh, not really surprising. So I discussed earlier about how studios are probably going to end up skipping Comic-Con because of the various strikes that are going on or are pot or potentially going to occur. And put this under the rumor category, but it's probably going to actually happen. 
apparently Marvel Studios will be skipping uh, the Comic-Con, at least Hall H, so they won't have any announcements. They will, however, have a presence on the convention floor. So San Diego Comic-Con is where they've always shown upcoming movies and TV shows, but right now they have multiple productions on pause because of the ongoing writer's strike. Plus, if sag does actually go on strike, that's going to make it almost impossible for studios to show anything without, you know, well, they won't have any material to show because of the writer's strike, but then they won't be able to have the performers there either because that would be in violation of their sag contracts. So that is listed as a rumor, but it's probably going to happen. And also, what did I mention earlier about the potential for streamers like Disney Plus who are taking their content out of their own streaming and maybe license it to others? Well, I need to buy a lottery ticket. This is also in the rumor category, but apparently Warner Brothers Discovery is shopping some of its HBO library titles to Netflix. So that would mark the first time in almost a decade that HBO shows would actually exist on Netflix. So the first title, apparently, again, this is a rumor, is uh, going to be the comedy Insecure, which ran for five seasons on HBO. And supposedly, HBO veterans pushed back against the plan, but of course, they're looking at dollars here. But of course, I mean, HBO has had deals with Amazon for The Sopranos, Deadwood, Six Feet Under, and others to show on Amazon. So it's not really anything new, but, you know, while there's also a question about how residuals are going to be handled, I guess in that case, residuals would probably be handled by whoever licenses the material. So, yeah, I need to buy a lottery ticket. And as long as we're on the topic of uh, of Warner Brothers Discovery and streaming, apparently there has been some concerns that Turner Classic Movies, now this is cable, this is cable as well as streaming, but there's been some concern that Turner Classic Movies is about to get very, um, well, I guess butchered might be a good word. Now, Turner Classic Movies, if you've never heard of it, which, you know, if you're outside the U.S., you've probably never heard of it, but it is one of the cable channels out there that has been one of the only real bastions of classic movies that are highly significant to Hollywood history. But very recently, a whole bunch of the top executives at Turner Classic Movies have been, they've been fired. Now, one of the things about Turner Classic Movies is that it was actually, I mean, it's based off of Ted Turner, and he has always been into things like movie preservation and movie history. And even back in the 90s, Turner Classic Movies was probably the first main cable channel ever to have as part of their programming that movies would be shown in their original aspect ratio. So it was very common to see a number of classic musicals and classic movies shown in their widescreen format. Even extreme widths, like 2.55 to 1, such as Ben-Hur, they would show them in those formats, even on the old 4x3 TVs. You know, these, were, these, these movies were curated by a number of people who loved Hollywood history, and they would also go over some hidden, you know, behind-the-scenes gems that you might not know about that occurred during filming. I remember that they were the first place that I ever knew that there was a Todd A.O. version of Oklahoma, and they showed it. So yes, it was back in the days before high definition, and it was on a 4x3 TV, so the letterboxing was extreme, but it was still the fact that Turner Classic Movies was one of the only cable channels that said, you know what, this is part of Hollywood history, we're showing it this way. And they also I have it on my website as well, where they had a, a complete explanation about the widescreen process and what you're losing in pan and scan. It's on my website, it's on my YouTube channel, and I got it during one of AMC's film preservation festivals. So needless to say, there's been a lot of concern about what's going on with this, and are they actually going to be trying to gut Turner Classic Movies, which has been a very highly respected cable channel for decades now. Well, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson, all three of whom are advocates for movie preservation, got in touch with David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, about this restructuring of Turner Classic Movies. And they put out a joint statement saying, uh, among other things, we have spent time, we have each spent time talking to David separately and together, and it's clear that TCM and classic cinema are very important to him. Our primary aim is to ensure that TCM's programming is untouched and protected. 
We are heartened and encouraged by the conversations we've had thus far, and we are committed to working together to ensure the continuation of this cultural touchstone that we all treasure. So hopefully, with all of this, Turner Classic Movies will be preserved. They'll have their annual movie festivals and so forth. We can only hope that Zaslav's uh, butchering of the company for the almighty dollar will not win out on this one. Another release date change, apparently Wicked Part 2 is being moved up from Christmas of 2025 to Thanksgiving, November 26th of 2025. Uh, Wicked Part 1 is opening worldwide on November 27th of 2024. I saw it off-Broadway. It's an amazing play. I love the music, and if you've never heard of it, the original musical tells the untold story of the Witches of Oz, where the two forge an unlikely sisterhood and will empower each other in ways that neither foresees. But as dark forces of prejudice and oppression loom on the horizon, the choices they make will separate them and will set them on different destinies that will change them and Oz for good. And if you're a fan of the musical, you will understand that last part. So, no big deal, but part two moves up a month early, which is fine by me. I plan on enjoying both of them. Well, y'all can get ready for a new Batman movie. Apparently, uh, The Flash's director, Andy Muschietti, has already been brought on board to direct the next Batman movie called The Brave and the Bold. And this is the first uh, of the DCU Batman outside of what Matt Reeves has already done with The Batman and its upcoming sequel. So this new movie will feature Batman and his son Damian Wayne as Robin, who, according to this, is a little son of a bitch. He's an assassin murderer who takes Batman, no, who Batman, who takes Batman, who Batman takes on, who is Batman's actual son that he doesn't know exists for the first eight to ten years of his life. It's a strange father and son story about the two of them, based on Grant Morrison's run of the Batman, and that is according to James Gunn himself. So again, this is the first Batman of the DC Universe. It's outside of Matt Reeves' version of the Batman, which is going to continue. And we'll just have to see what happens. So this one is definitely in the uh, rumor category. Universal Pictures has apparently set its sight on The Legend of Zelda as the next big video game movie adaptation. Uh, So, I mean, this is obviously not that much of a surprise. Look at how huge the Super Mario Brothers movie has been. As of this recording, it has brought in $1.3 billion worldwide, so it's no surprise that they'd be looking for a Zelda game, or for the for the next big movie, and Zelda is a huge franchise. So according to this insider, I'm told that Universal is in fact closing a big deal. Zelda is looking like the next big Illumination Nintendo franchise, which we were all sort of expecting. I'm told that is happening. So there you go. But, but, before you get your knickers in a twist about how great it's going to be to have a new Zelda movie, or to have a Zelda movie, I mean, I'm sorry, when I think of of Zelda and animation, I think of those awful cartoons and the CDI version, which are just... (laughs) However, the Illumination Chief has denied that there is a Zelda movie in the works. According to Chris Melodandry, who is the founder and CEO of Illumination and the producer of all of their films, when asked about it, he said, I don't know where that came from. I mean, I can understand how people would surmise all sorts of things, because obviously we've had a great experience working together. My relationship with Nintendo now includes being on their board of directors, so I understand how people can surmise these things. But in terms of the specifics, that was just something that I've been hearing lots of rumors. This is just about what's next between Nintendo and Illumination. And at that point, Benjamin Renner, who is the director of their upcoming movie Migration, said, I see one rumor every week. And that rumor apparently is that they are making a Zelda. So, I mean, you can call that a denial. I mean, he wasn't cagey about it. He said straight up that, yeah, that's I have no idea where that's coming from. So, unfortunately, there is no Zelda movie in the works yet. You never know. What are you doing? I'm running away. To where? Out there. A witch lives there. A real one. Daniele, you're holding all of us up. Where's Violet? She went for a walk. You let her go on her own? She'll be fine. Are you the witch? 
witch or a witch? That is the trailer for Wonderwell, which you might not have heard because it really only, I don't want to say it only came out recently, but it was finally announced very recently that the movie is coming to theaters in a limited run. In fact, it should already be out by the time you hear this podcast in a limited run via AMC theaters, followed by a streaming release. And what makes this movie special to a lot of people is that this movie is finally getting released after seven years and is the final movie to star Carrie Fisher. Obviously, Carrie Fisher died back in 2016, just weeks after finishing up the filming of this movie. And apparently the reason why it's taken so long is primarily that it got bogged down in visual effects challenges after the shoot, which in turn made the budget grow, and of course, that accounted for delays. And then COVID hit. But one thing the article does point out is that uh, it says that Carrie was full of energy during filming and even celebrated her 60th birthday with us in Italy where we shot the movie. After a night shoot, which went on until 2 a.m., she invited the whole team to celebrate with her and the party ended up being shut down by the police because it was deemed a little too loud. Sounds like her. So that should be out right now in limited theatrical run uh, with AMC. And it should be followed shortly by streaming. And if you want to see the trailer, the link is in the show notes. Those of you who love your horror movies are going to enjoy the next two stories here. Leprechaun, which is the longest-running franchise in Lionsgate history, is going to get a fresh start. They're calling it a reimagination. Just call it a reboot. We kind of assume it's going to be a reimagination if it's going to be a reboot. So if you've never heard of Leprechaun, I mean, I don't like horror movies, and even I've heard of Leprechaun. But anyway, it, it uh, originally came from Trimark Pictures, who made the first movie in 1993 with Warwick Davis, starring as a shoe-shining, gold-protecting, vengeance-dispensing leprechaun. The movie also became notable for featuring Jennifer Aniston in her, fr- in her film debut, uh, but also became a surprise moneymaker. So Warwick Davis played the leprechaun in six films, but skipped the last two in 2014 and 2018 he is not expected to reprise the role for this reboot no word on release dates or anything so of course i will let you know as soon as i find out anything else and to nobody's surprise the success of cocaine bear which so far has made 87 million off of a 30 million dollar budget here come all of the copycats and the next one is going to be cracoon <sighs> <laughs> When a synthetically altered street drug is discarded in the woods by a drug dealer during a car chase with police, the fallout proves nothing less than horrific when an innocent raccoon eats it, transforming it into a nightmarish killing machine straight from the bowels of hell. (laughs) With unsuspecting campers, tourists, and residents of a mountain community all in close proximity to the epicenter, because of course... No one is safe from the monster's unrelenting rampage. So this movie is currently uh, crowdfunding to get it finished, and I will have a link... (laughs) Uh, I will have a link to their Indiegogo, which already has surpassed their goal of $6,000. Doesn't seem like a lot, but regardless. If you wish to help to get this movie started, I will absolutely have a link to the Indiegogo, and I will have a link to the trailer that they have made for it. Watch it at your own peril. Of course, there have been some uh, celebrity deaths since the last show. 
Uh, Treat Williams, who's best known for playing Dr. Andy Brown on the series Everwood, has died. He made his film debut in the 1975 thriller Deadly Hero, followed by the supporting role he played in The Ritz. But his real breakthrough came in 1979 when he starred in the Milos Forman version of Hair, which was obviously based off the Broadway musical. That performance earned him a Golden Globe nomination. After that, he also starred in movies such as 1941, Once Upon a Time in America, Dead Heat, Things to Do in Denver When You're Dead, and Deep Rising. But one other part that you might not know about is that being a longtime friend of Mark Hamill, he also had an uncredited role as a rebel pilot in The Empire Strikes Back. Treat Williams was 71. The queen of rock and roll, Tina Turner, has also died after a long illness at her home near Zurich, Switzerland. Obviously, she's mostly known for her music. Uh, she became famous in the late 1960s as the singer of the Ike and Tina Turner Review with her husband. But after years of physical and emotional abuse, she left and scored what is basically one of the greatest comebacks in pop history with massive hits in the 1980s. What's Love Got to Do With It, Private Dancer, The Best... 12 Grammy Awards, sold-out stadium tours, but she has also touched the silver screen in her own ways as well. Her biopic, What's Love Got to Do With It?, which was based on her autobiography, starred Angela Bassett as Tina and Lawrence Fishburne as Ike, both of whom got Oscar nominations from their performances, and the film became a major box office success at the time, earning more than $60 million globally. But she did score another smash single back in 1985 with We Don't Need Another Hero, which was the theme to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, and there was also another song from that soundtrack called One of the Living, which also reached number 15. And she, of course, starred in the movie, playing the ruthless leader of Bartertown, delivering the, the very memorable line of a relatively forgettable movie, saying, Welcome to another edition of Thunderdome. And in 1993, she had one more big hit in the U.S. with I Don't Want to Fight, which came from the What's Love Got to Do With It soundtrack. And outside of that, she also starred opposite Arnold Schwarzenegger as the mayor in 1993's The Last Action Hero. So she retired following her 50th anniversary tour back in 2009, which remains one of the highest grossing tours of the 2000s, and re-entered the public spotlight with the 2018 West End musical hit, Tina the Tina Turner musical. The legendary Tina Turner was 83. And finally, Glenda Jackson, who was a two-time Oscar winner, who walked away from her acting career to spend nearly a quarter of a century in the UK Parliament, has died. Although she started her career uh, on the stage at London's West End, her film career took off when she won the Oscar for Ken Russell's adaptation of Women in Love. That was in 1969. And then quickly won a second Oscar for A Touch of Class, opposite George Seagal uh, in 1973. She also received two Academy Award nominations for her work in Sunday Bloody Sunday in 1972 and Hedda in 1975, and also had a major box office hit with House Calls in 1978, in which she starred opposite Walter Matthau. Their pairing was so popular with audiences that they actually reunited for the comic thriller Hopscotch in 1980. She's also won a number of Tony Awards uh, over the years, including her most recent as the Best Actress for Three Tall Women in 2018. But her final performance will be in the upcoming The Great Escaper, in which she stars opposite Michael Caine, which is going to be released in UK cinemas this October. Glenda Jackson was 87. Whoa! Please state the name of your homeworld. Uh, Earth? Welcome, leader of uh, Earth. We are the United Advanced Species of the Universe. I think there's been a mistake. You're not the leader of our Earth? Sorry for the mix-up. Commence memory wipe. No, wait! <clears throat> I am the leader of Earth. Why is your voice different? I I've always talked like this since I was a kid, which I'm obviously not anymore. But yes, I run the planet. The trial of a Earth can proceed. Uh-oh. Until then, as you say on uh, Earth, okay, bye. I love you. Okay. Okay. Bye. Okay. bye. I, love oh, I love you. I love you. Uh... You're the talk of the communiverse. If mom could see me now. I know what you mean. I ate my mother at birth. 
but in moments of great success, I regret it. That's a thing for your species? No, just a me thing. Everyone was shocked. <laughs> And that is the trailer for the upcoming Pixar movie, Elio, which obviously stars a uh, young boy who pretends that he's the ruler of Earth. Oh, boy, could I make political commentary on that one. Anyway, it's just a teaser trailer. And if you want to see it, it does look cute, I will admit. Then you know where to go. Now, this one's probably only going to appeal to a, a small number of people here, if anybody. But that's, that's okay. That's okay. I've mentioned this Many times in the past, I think it's an amazing product. There is a free open source product out there called Blender. I'm going to be moving to Blender for my CAD and sculpting work in the near future. But one of the other things that Blender is also great at is 3D animation. And again, it's a free product and it's open source. You can download it and do whatever the hell you want with it, really. And just to show what's going on is there's going to be a new upcoming short film called Project Gold, which is its current working story. According to this, it is a story from the heart, a metaphorical journey into the depths of the human experience, exploring the fragility of life and our capacity for resilience and inner transformation. But the thing is, this is all being done by a free project or a free product. I know that I have linked to at least a few of the movies that they have shown or that have been made in Blender in the past. As an example to the fact that anybody can do this if you're willing to put the time and effort into it. But if you're thinking, well, my God, you know, I'll, I'll never... The, the complexity of doing something like that is ridiculous. Well, you're not wrong. But at the same time, the Blender Studio team is going to continue, as they say here, to share improvements and documentation to their studio pipeline, along with the research and the development of new creative techniques. So if this is something that you might have tinkered in before but you want to see how more advanced things are done, this could be something for you. So the project is in early pre-production right now, and will pick up speed after the release of their upcoming movie, Pet Projects, next month. Uh, so they're hoping that Project Gold will be released in 2024. But again, this stuff is all, it, it's for free. You can download this package and do this stuff for free. So if this is something you are interested in, or if you just want to see the creative process behind how some of these things are done, I will absolutely have a link in the show notes, and hopefully I'll be working with Blender soon, too. If you're hoping to see a trailer for Hayao Miyazaki's final movie with Studio Ghibli, which is going to be called How Do You Live, don't expect it to happen. Instead, the studio has shared a single poster for the film depicting a sketch of what appears to be a bird-like creature, but has shared nothing else since. And according to this, the absence of marketing will continue right up until its theatrical debut in Japan on July 14th. So according to this, Toshio Suzuki, who is the producer, said, In the past, we had to keep the company Ghibli alive, you know, and wanted as many people as possible to come to watch our movies. But after trying many things, we've come to a point where I think maybe it's time for a change. Everyone is drowning in information nowadays. Sometimes people go to see a movie just to check information that they already know, and that is giving too much to customers and it's like they're being deprived of what really makes it fun. Now, does this mean that there will be no advertising for it once it goes international? Not necessarily. But even if you're hoping to see something, knowing that the movie is going to be released in Japan next month, it's not going to happen. So it's going to be released in Japan on July 14th. There is no date set for an international release as of yet. But of course, if I find out, I will let you know. But that is definitely an interesting take on marketing, especially nowadays where... You know, movie studios get accused of spoiling the movie from showing too much in the trailers. So saying, nah, we're just going to put out a poster and that's it. That's it. Well, we'll have to see how it works. As many of you know, if you've been here for a while, I actually was a projectionist at a local theater. So I was responsible for putting movies together, assembling them from 20-minute reels onto big up to four and a half hour platters, which I did that every Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning. Loved it. I loved doing it. It was so cool. But, you know, for whether it's fortunately or unfortunately, 35 millimeter film and so forth has pretty much, I don't want to say it's gone away, it's still out there, but it's left mostly to specialty houses. IMAX, of course, uses 70 millimeter film, and I found a video that was actually released four years ago, but it is, from start to finish, a projectionist leaving the office and going up to thread a 70 millimeter IMAX film. And it's everything. It's checking the equipment, making sure everything is good. 
threading the film on the platters into the projectors, uh, con setting the controls for it, programming it, and then going through all of the processes and eventually firing it up. So the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing, that's my Scrantonian accent coming through. The whole thing is about eight minutes long. Hopefully you won't get too dizzy because it looks like they just put like a, a GoPro on their head and then went around and, and did their thing. But if you've never seen how a film projector works and how it gets prepared, this is an amazing video. And it actually uh, kind of made me a little nostalgic. What I dealt with is primitive compared to what IMAX projectors are. But it was still cool to watch. And if you want to see it, I'll have a link in the show notes. Cineworld, the owner of Regal here in the U.S., uh, now expects to emerge from its Chapter 11 bankruptcy sometime next month. So it filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy back in September to look for ways to restructure its debt. And again, I know I say this multiple times, but just to make it clear, Chapter 11 simply means, hey, we're in trouble. We need to work on things to get us back in shape. Chapter 7 is when they're going away. Chapter 7 is liquidation. So they're expecting to come out of bankruptcy. Uh, they actually considered selling some of their assets, but dropped plans for that. So really what this means is that Regal, Cinema City, Picture House, and other theater chains that they, chains that they own, both in the U.S. and in the U.K., are expected to stay open and stay in business. And that is absolutely good news. And speaking of good news, well, at least I think it's good news. Those of you who have been here for a while know the infamous Movie Pass, the big monthly subscription service that could let you go see as many movies as you want for a really low monthly fee. It went belly up several years ago because their financial model was totally unsustainable. And then they started to make changes which pissed off customers and so forth. Well, they went bankrupt, they went goodbye, and their uh, assets and the name and so forth were purchased. And they've been gearing up for a relaunch ever since last year uh, when they started a new beta subscription format in several cities. So now MoviePass 2.0 or 3.0, depending on how you want to look at it, has now relaunched and it's national. So the relaunch includes over 4,000 movie theater locations throughout the country, including those operated by AMC, Regal, Cinemark, and other regional chains. Now, the catch is that the subscription model now costs more because, you know, they found out the hard way, charging $10 a month for as many movies as you want, you're not going to make a profit that way. So plans still start at $10 a month, but that's only good for up to three movies per month instead of one a day, like MoviePass was beforehand. Uh, and subscription tiers go all the way up to $40 per month for 30 theatrical showings. But no matter how you look at it, $40 for 30 movies is still an amazing deal, especially considering that a lot of tickets cost $15 or more, depending on where you live. But even if you take the small one and you just go to see smaller films, so what? So what? That's where I always argued that MoviePass is fantastic. When you have movies that don't have differential pricing, where the big blockbusters cost $15 to go see, but so do the small independent movies also cost 15 and you don't necessarily know if you really want to pay that much money for some small indie film. This is perfect for it, because even if you buy the the low plan, it's $3.33 for one movie. So that right there pretty much eliminates the risk. So just like before, you make arrangements to see a movie right in their MoviePass app, as long as that theater is partnered with the company. Uh, but you should still be able to reserve a space, select your seats. However, it looks like reservations are exclusive to 2D screenings, so 3D screenings apparently are not included in this model. But you know what? Hey, cheaper movies are never a bad thing, so let's hope that they learned from the first time and uh, you know got everything right this time. If you were one of those who was upset at the big split between Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson when it came to the Fast and Furious movies, surprise! Dwayne Johnson is coming back for another Fast and Furious movie, although it's not necessarily what you might think. So it's an untitled Fast project, uh, but it's going to be one that he produces with Vin Diesel's production company as well. So that's interesting. But apparently this movie is not a spinoff like Hobbs and Shaw, nor is it its own Fast 11 or Fast 12. Apparently... This movie will bridge between Fast X and Fast 11. So, and it is expected to start other Fast actors as well. 
Uh, sources also say that Vin Diesel is not expected to star, uh, although nothing is being ruled out. So basically what it means is apparently the two of them have found a way to reunite behind the screen, but not on the screen. But I'm a putting that one in the rumor category, so we'll see what happens. And finally, finally, if you have seen the viral photo of what looks like the head of Falcor the Luck Dragon from, obviously, The NeverEnding Story, if you found it resting in somebody's garage and people saying, oh my god, what is this? How horrible? Why is it being treated this way? Oh my god, that movie is so blah blah blah. Okay, first off, stop. I did a little bit of research, and it turns out that that is not a genuine prop. The genuine props are back in Germany. He is currently on public public display at the Bavaria at the Bavaria Movie Studios Museum. So the genuine puppet is there, but what you were seeing is a prop that was made by a maker group in New Jersey. So I actually posted that on Twitter, saying basically, "Hey guys, this is not an official prop. It was designed by a group in New Jersey." Uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'd love to see the behind the scenes for how they designed and built it. Well, apparently the group who built it has been scanning Twitter about people who talk about that Falcor that they found, and they actually responded to me directly. And they said, hi, just to clarify, we've not sold any Falcors yet. The one we gave away through a buy, okay, uh, this one we gave away through a buy nothing group. The other two we still have. We've rented one out for parties and have had offers to buy, but it would have to be a really good offer. These are a bitch to make. That's the quote. <laughs> so that, that was a direct response from the group who made it to me on Twitter. So if you've seen that and you felt so awful as to how that puppet head is, oh my God, why is it in a garage in New Jersey? Chill. It's a replica. It was done by a local, na- uh, local maker group. It's not the real thing, but it still looks really freaking cool. You heard it here. This is a widescreen podcast exclusive, kind of. I'm sure they responded like that to other people. But still, it was cool that they reached out to me. You know, they're in New Jersey. I'm only a little bit from New Jersey, and I really would like to see how they put that damn thing together because it looks really freaking cool. And uh, seeing as how they did reach out to me on Twitter, I wonder... What the possibilities might be that I, uh, you know, with a couple of inquiries, might be making a road trip to Jersey. That would be really freaking cool. Hmm. Yes, Pinky, I'm going to have to look into that. Anyway, that's it. That's it for this episode. Wow, less than an hour? That's unusual, but that's okay. As a reminder, please, if you can, uh, I have the... uh, charity drive going on for the trevor project i will again have a link in the show notes uh, where you could donate if you want you could possibly possibly win one of the props that i'm building and even if you can't donate if you could just spread the word that alone will be a big help and if you're tired about hearing about pride month well maybe if you treated everybody equally there would have been no need for a pride month something to consider So everyone, take care of yourselves, take care of each other. Uh, To my fellow Yankees, please have a safe July 4th weekend, holiday, whatever you're doing with it. Please exit the holiday with all your fingers and toes like you do going into it, you know, or with the same amount of fingers and toes that you do going into it. And until next time, toodles! I can pray and trick with a double tongue, but the only fool here is me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real, keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight, and there ain't no exception. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for. Love me in this fable, babe. My heart is in your hand. Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe tomorrow Is a better day Yeah, maybe tomorrow Is a better day As always 
This podcast is copyright 2023 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. Ooh, <clears throat> that sounded good. Don't get asthma, folks. It sucks. The Widescreen Podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's BlueberryNoEase.com. The music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at Poets of the Fall. <clears throat> Please visit their website at PoetsOfTheFall.com. This has been a very nasty in the throat widescreen.org production. <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat> <clears throat>